Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, my name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you're a guest or a visitor, welcome. We're glad that you're with us this morning, and uh, glad that uh, glad that we have audio. <laughs> uh, we weren't we we thought it might be CTK unplugged this morning for a little while, but um, but uh, I am thankful for for the hard work everybody put in. So, um, but if you are a guest or visitor, welcome. We're glad that you're with us. Uh, if you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14. We're going to look at verses uh, 22 through 33, and the passage is also printed there in your order of service. Um, if, if you were here with us last week, you know that we started a new series uh, for the winter and spring that is focusing on different episodes from the life of Peter. So we're looking at different accounts in the Gospels uh, where Peter uh, is a prominent figure, um, we're looking at Peter because it gives us a microscopic view of what oftentimes discipleship might look like. Peter was one of the inner ring, right? One of the three, Peter, James, and John, who, who got to see Jesus in, in times and situations and places where others didn't. Um, and so to, to see his interaction with Jesus might give us insight into what it looks like for us to follow Christ. But the thing is, is that even as we're looking at the life of Peter, the truth is, is that our focus really isn't on Peter at all. Peter is just our entryway in, because the significance isn't so much how Peter responds to Jesus, but how Jesus responds to Peter, how Jesus leads and directs in Jesus' teaching, Jesus' life before this disciple. That's our focus. That's our attention. Peter is just our gateway into that. And for this morning, what we're going to see is that Jesus, Jesus confronts Peter in his doubt something that every one of us has experienced. He confronts him with his doubt, and he shows him why he can doubt no more. So let's go ahead and read Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. Immediately he, that being Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our God and our King, it is true that you, Lord Jesus, are the Son of God. And so we, are, uh, we come before you as people who, who need to know that more deeply this morning. We need your help. I need your help as I speak, and we need your help as we listen. And so we pray that you would, that you would help the preaching of your word to go forward this morning, and that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts to please you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So a few years ago, there was a book that was uh, published uh, by an author named Kinnaman. He was 
taking on a lot of research that was done by the Barnett Group, and he wrote a book called You Lost Me. Uh, maybe some of you have seen this. Uh, the Barnett Group uh, is a research uh, organization, and they went and they studied uh, why it is that uh, what accounted for some young people who grew up in the faith, why they walked away. So they were focused specifically on those uh, people who grew up in the church and walked away but never returned. Okay, so they weren't concerned with those who kind of, you know, maybe stopped going for a year or two in the middle of their life or in their teen years or something like that. They were looking at those who, who left completely. And so they did all this research. They started interviewing these men and these women as to what accounted for them leaving the church and not returning. And, and the, the researchers said that they were expecting there to be a smoking gun. If, if, if we could find the one reason, you know, maybe we could counteract that. And they thought that there would be one, but in reality, there were more than one. There were actually six main reasons why these people didn't return. Things like uh, the, the church in which they grew up in, the environment that they were a part of was too protective. Or, or that the churches that they were a part of were, were too shallow. And there were a few others. But the last of the reasons that they were given was that these churches that these uh, people who had walked away from the faith were a part of were doubtless. They were doubtless. And what they meant was when we had doubt, when we had questions, when we had concerns, and we would bring them forward, they were ignored. They were swept under the carpet. Don't, don't, don't ask those sorts of questions. Don't, don't go there. Or, or when an honest doubt came about, there was just trite answers. And so, so they learned that, that they couldn't ask questions. And they learned that doubting is, is always wrong and, and that they should just cling to that doubt because no one had an honest answer for their honest questions. I can't help but think that that's not the best way to deal with doubt. <laughs> I mean, because wh what do you do with it? What do you do with your doubt? What are we supposed to do with it? How are we to deal with it? Because if we're honest with ourselves, every one of us at some point in our life has had doubt. Maybe some of you have it this morning. What are we supposed to do with that? I mean, even Peter and those in the boat, they experienced doubt, didn't they? Jesus asked Peter pointedly, why did you doubt? I mean, Peter is experiencing this, and so what, what is Peter supposed to do with that doubt? What are we to do with it? Now, let me just clarify, when I say doubt, I'm not talking about the doubt that is so common in our day that is, that is the product of cynicism, right? That basically says that, it, that we doubt for the sake of doubting as though it's some sort of virtue. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of doubt that is stirred in us that is seeking understanding, that is wanting clarity in the midst of fog. What are we to do with that? Now, before we answer that, we actually need to consider why it is that we would ever doubt. What causes that? But if we're ever going to counteract it, if we're ever going to resist it, we need to know why it's there. And what we see in this passage is that there's two reasons that might produce doubt in our hearts and in our minds. The first is Jesus' appearance. Jesus' appearance, because let's, let's be honest, Jesus showing up to his disciples in this episode isn't normal, right? It's something supernatural, Remember, Jesus, he sends his disciples. Let's recap a little bit. He sends his disciples out on the lake. It says before evening, okay? So they get in the boat, sail across. I'll meet you on the other side. And Jesus goes up to a mountain and prays. And he comes down, and it's about the fourth, 
watch, they say. So that means it's between 3 and 6 a.m. So think about that. They set sail before evening, and now it's between 3 and 6 in the morning, and they're not to the other side. Okay? They've been rowing all night. In fact, Mark's account of this says that they were painful. They were pained in their rowing. They've been rowing and rowing, and they're not getting anywhere. They're stuck. Right? Now, now look, the, these, these are fishermen. Like, they would have been strong, right? They, they knew how to row boats, and they had been pulling nets full of fish, so they were strong men. And yet, they could not get to the other side because the storm, the winds, and the waves were too much. And in the midst of their exhaustion, and in the middle of the night, and in the midst of the waves and the storm, they see a man standing in the sea, walking towards them. So what do they do? It's a ghost, right? I mean, that's the only thing that they can come up with because they've never seen a man walking on water before, right? I mean, anybody? Y'all? No. Right? So they say it's a ghost, right? That's how they're trying to understand it. Now, this isn't a, in a, a confirmation of disembodied spirits, right? It's not trying to affirm that, like, when we die, our spirits just kind of float around. That's not what they're doing. We, we know that's not true, okay? We know that's not true. Um, this isn't Harry Potter, that our spirits go up into heaven and are into the presence of God, but they're trying to make sense of it. They're trying to understand It's hard to believe that Christ would be walking on water because they've never seen this before. It's a ghost. Who else could it be? And even after Jesus says, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid, what does Peter say? Lord, if it is you, if it is you, you get the sense that Peter's wanting to believe that it's Jesus, but but he's having trouble being certain. Right? Is, is it really you? Like, it, I'm not sure. If it is you, Jesus. He wants to have certainty, but he's not sure. Maybe that's where some of you are this morning. Maybe some of you are here this morning, and, and you came in, and you came with a big dose of skepticism about who Jesus is. Maybe you showed up here this morning, and you're sitting there, and, and, and you've heard the things that the church has claimed, claims of exclusivity, of resurrection, of a man walking on water, and it it doesn't sit very well with you, or maybe it, it just sounds fanciful, right? This sounds more like a movie than it does reality, and so maybe you're skeptical. Or maybe you've observed the way that many Christians live, the way we talk and the way we do things, and and the followers of Jesus, maybe the way that that the followers of Jesus live have put a distaste in your mouth to the faith. And you wonder, if these are what the followers are like, how can, the tr- how can it be true? So you start to be skepti- skeptical of the veracity of the faith itself. Maybe that's where some of you are. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're doubting Christianity as a whole. But I imagine that for many of us, actually, that's not where we are. Our problem actually isn't with Christianity as a whole or trouble believing the Bible or who Jesus is. No, what, what we have doubt, where our doubt comes, is that we have trouble reconciling what we know to be true with what we experience in the world, with our situation, with our circumstance. Right? We experience something in our lives, and it doesn't seem to coincide with what we believe, so doubt starts to take root because of our situation. And that happens to Peter too, right? Jesus tells him to come. 
And so Peter starts coming. Now, let's just think about this, okay? This is the beauty of narrative. We can start to use our imagination, how this would have played out, right? Just imagine Peter, he, he hears Jesus say, come, and so he walks over to the edge of the boat, and, and I could imagine him, you know, he lifts up his foot, and he starts to put it in the water, and he's being kind of tentative, right? Because he, maybe he's not sure, like, am I going to sink? Because every other time I've put my foot in water, it sunk, <laughs> Right? So I could imagine he's being a little, almost like Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. You remember he's on the search for the Holy Grail, and there's that massive chasm right before he gets to the cave where the Holy Grail is. And, and there's this huge opening, and he can't jump across, and there's no way across, and, but he knows he's got to get there. And so what does he do? He lifts up his foot, and he starts to lean. And just as he should start falling to his death, he hits something solid. And I can imagine that's what Peter's doing, right? He's kind of leaning forward, and it's solid. And, and so maybe now he's taking his other foot out, and, and with every step, he's feeling a, a little bit more sure. But it's still water, right? Like, it didn't ice over, and the, the winds didn't come and blow it away, so maybe there's still water kind of slapping up on his legs as he's walking, but with every step, he's a little bit more certain, and a little bit more certain, and I can imagine he's thinking in his head, I am walking on water, <laughs> Like, this is going to be an awesome story at Thanksgiving. (laughs) He's walking on water. He's focused on Jesus. With every step, he's more and more sure. But uncertainty starts to creep in. His confidence is replaced with doubt, right? We see in verse 20, when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried. Here's the thing. While he was taking those first steps, the winds and the waves hadn't stopped. They were still blowing. The waves were still crashing. But his focus was so fixed on Jesus that the waves and the wind became white noise. But now his focus is on the winds. His attention is on the waves. And so he begins to sink. You know what this is like. We know what this is like. We're not sure what the future is going to hold. Will I have a job in six months or a year? We know what this is like because we're in relationships that are really hard. They were supposed to be good and sweet. They were supposed to be filled with joy in life, but, but they're hard. And so we wonder, will there ever be healing? We know what this is like because we thought that that girl was our friend and and for some reason she won't sit with me anymore and she doesn't return my calls. I thought we were friends, but now I'm left alone and wondering, will I ever really have a friend? I don't know what those winds are, but but we know what they are. And, And as soon as those winds start hitting us, whenever we feel the waves crashing, we start to wonder, maybe God really doesn't have what's best for me. Maybe he's letting me sink. I know what he says in his word, but I'm starting to doubt. Y'all know what this is like. I know what it's like. So what do we do with that? Well, let let me just say, if, if you're here and you're full of skepticism, the first step to resisting doubt is to be skeptical of your skepticism. If you're here and you're full of doubt because of your circumstance, then, then the first thing towards resisting that doubt 
is to start doubting your doubt. And we do this, we resist skepticism, we resist doubt, we do this through trust. You see, we replace doubt with trust, and, and the, that's exactly what we see Peter doing. What's fascinating about this, I don't know if you guys noticed this as we were reading, but that in the midst of Peter's doubt, he actually shows evidence of trust. That the two things are almost occurring simultaneously. Right? He's a little skeptical if it is you, but then he shows trust. He got out of the boat. Right? He got out of the boat simply because Jesus said, come. And his trust doesn't end there. When he starts sinking, what's his first instinct? He's a, he's a fisherman. He didn't try to swim. He could have maybe tried. He didn't try to swim. He didn't reach back to get the boat. He wasn't asking for a life preserver, you know, throw a buoy or anything. What's his first instinct? Jesus, save me. He believes that Jesus can do something for him. He believes that Jesus can enter into his situation. He trusts even in the midst of his doubt. But listen, this kind of trust isn't some sort of naive optimism that simply says, oh, don't worry Everything will be better. I'm sure that there's a better job waiting for you. That's rootless. Right? That's unfounded. No, biblical trust is depending on another because they can and they do help. That's what biblical trust is, that we resist doubt by trusting in Christ because he is the one who is able to help us. And he is able to help because he is God himself. We trust the one who is divine. And we see Jesus' divinity in a couple of ways. The first is that he has authority over creation itself. So not only does Jesus walk on water, not only does he help Peter walk on water, but Jesus also stops the winds. Did you see what happened when they got back into the boat? Verse 32, the winds ceased. This is reminiscent of another occasion when Jesus and his disciples were on a boat in the middle of the sea and the waves were crashing. It was just a few chapters before this one. You remember they're in the middle and, and it is, it, it's a storm like they have never seen before and, and the, the disciples are freaking out, right? They're afraid for their life. And what's Jesus doing? Do you remember this? He's in the back of the boat and he's sleeping. <laughs> and so they wake him up. They rouse him. And they're like, Jesus, we're dying. Don't you care? And what does Jesus do? Like I can imagine he kind of yawns. <clears throat> Peace, be still. Right? That's what he says. Peace, be still. And he wasn't saying that to the disciples. He was saying it to the wind and to the waves. And they were. Peace, be still. Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. Now, in our passage, we don't have an account of Jesus audibly rebuking the wind. But it's apparent, isn't it, that the wind stopped because Jesus made it stop. He has authority over creation because he's the one who brought into existence. It's what John chapter 1 tells us. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You see, Jesus has control. He has absolute authority and command over the creation itself. He's divine. But we also see his divinity in his name. You see, in that other account, when the winds were blowing and Jesus rebuked the, the wind and the waves, when, when the disciples saw it, do you remember, they wondered aloud. They said, who is this? that even the wind and sea obey him. Who is this? But now, now they're clear who he is. In verse 32, truly you are the son of God. Truly you are the son of God. You see, they're saying that he isn't just any other man. He isn't some prophet. 
He isn't someone who comes with just a little bit of authority. He is the Son of God. That, that title indicates that he is God himself, that he is divine. And so that means he is able, he is powerful enough to help us in our times of doubt. But he's not just able, he actually does. You see, we, we don't just trust him because he's able and he's divine, but we trust him because he's the one who delivers. He's the one who delivers us. Look at verse 31. Peter begins to fear. He starts to sink. He's overwhelmed by wind and circumstance. And so he cries out, Lord, save me. And what does Jesus do? Immediately, he reaches out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, I imagine that if we were just reading this casually, our attention would focus on Jesus' question, right? Why did you doubt? And that's where we've been focusing on for this sermon. Why did you doubt? But, but, but there's more to it than that. Do you notice what he did before he ever asked him, why did you doubt? Jesus delivered Peter. Before he ever asks him this question, before he ever peppers him and says, why don't you have more faith? Why did you doubt me? He, he saves him. He doesn't wait for Peter to have all his theology right. He delivers him. And did you notice how he delivered him? He could have used his words, right? Invariably, he could have said, rise. And Peter would have just kind of floated up out of the water. Right? He could have maybe said, stop. And he could have stopped Peter from sinking. And so maybe Peter's just kind of floating there upright. You know, maybe, you know, he's dry from the belly button up. He could have said that. He could have done those things, but that's not what Jesus did. What did he do? He reaches out and immediately grabs hold of him. He takes him by the hand and he raises him out of the water. Jesus delivered Peter by giving himself. It wasn't just with his words, but he gave himself to save Peter out of this dangerous situation. And that is exactly what he does to us. You see, he saves us. He delivers us. Not just by telling us the truth of his word, but he delivers us ultimately by giving himself. By giving himself on the cross. So that our sins would be forgiven. So that in our time of need, we would be delivered. That's why we trust in him, because he is the one who delivers us. And we need to remember that every day of our lives. That the one who has forgiven us, the one who has delivered us, he, he's not going to let us go in the midst of this windy sea, in the midst of waves crashing. He won't let us go now. See, we re need to remember his deliverance, because in remembering his deliverance, we have assurance in the midst of our doubt that we can trust him. Because that's really where we need that assurance, isn't it? It's not when we first believed. It's, it's afterwards. It's when we're not sure about our job. And it's when we're not sure about that relationship. And it's when we're not sure if we're going to get into that school. It's, it's in those times that we need to be assured that he is trustworthy. And what's amazing is that he shows that he is even here. Because did you notice that when he says to Peter... This is fascinating. When he says to Peter, before he says, why did you doubt? Or in the midst of this, do you notice where they are? They're not in the safety and stillness of the boat. They're still walking back to the boat. So Jesus has got Peter by the hand. 
and they're walking across the water, and the waves are still crashing, and the wind is still blowing, and it's in the midst of that that he says, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? He didn't wait to get him back in the boat and say, you see, everything's okay. The waves are still crashing. The wind is still blowing. And he says, you can trust me. You can trust me. I delivered you in that moment, but you can still trust me even as we are returning to the boat. It's as though Jesus is saying, what has one theologian put it, trust me to know all will be well even before all is well. And we know all isn't well, right? We know all is not well. Chuck prayed for things that are not well in our world. But we don't even have to look outside of this room to know all is not well. We can just look inside our hearts. We can look at our lives and we know all is not well. Right? We know we can look, look around this world and we see the death of the innocent and we see the celebrating of destruction of life and we see mental health concerns and behavioral disorders and broken We see all of these things and we know all is not well and yet we can trust Jesus in the midst of those things because he is the one who has delivered us. And because he is the one who even though he has delivered us and he has gone into heaven, he has not left us alone. Right? He said himself that those who trust in him, we are in the palm of the Father's hand and nothing can pull us from it. And Romans 8 tells us that there is nothing in this world and there's nothing in all of the heavenlies that can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We do not have to doubt, but we can trust him. Not just for our initial salvation, but for today. And for tomorrow and for all of our days, we can trust him. Because he's not only the one who is able to help, but he is the one who does help. So friends, listen, I, I don't know all the reasons why doubt might be growing in your heart this morning. I don't know where skepticism is creeping in your mind. I don't know all the waves and the winds that may be blowing against your lives, but I do know this. That the Son of God who says, take heart, which, which really just means have courage. That the Son of God who says, have courage, who says, don't be afraid. He, he doesn't say those things because the winds aren't real. They are. And he doesn't say those things because your circumstances aren't all that bad. Some of them are that bad. But he says, do not doubt. Take heart. Have courage. Trust. Because he himself is able and willing to deliver. And he does. And so friends, let us ask him today and tomorrow to give us the ability, the resolve to put away our doubt and to trust him. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that, that you would help us so that we would trust you, that we would depend upon you, God, that we would not ignore the difficulties that arise around us, that we would not put them aside, but that we would take them before you. That we would call out to you, Lord, save me. That we would call out there to you for, for the first time, but we would also call out to you, Lord, save me as the winds blow and as the waves crash. Help us, regardless of our circumstance and our situation, to trust in you our God and our King, in whose name we pray. And God's people said, Amen.